morning and welcome to Taking Ship, a guided cruise through dumbest timeline America. I'm Maggie Moore, joined by Ellie Jacobs and Frank Spring, who can both duel to the death to decide who is my first mate. It would be an honor. Uh, as always, um, please be sure to uh, to leave us some comments. Uh, we thank you for your comments. We thank you for your feedback. We've gotten some really great, uh, very positive feedback and some useful constructive criticism over the last few weeks. Uh, so thank you for all of that. Uh, send us your praise. It nourishes us. Send us your hate. It nourishes us even more. Um, and we uh, and we thank you for all of that stuff. You can follow us for those who are not getting enough of, of our brains and who could. You can follow us on Twitter at, at taking ship. And that's ship with a P as in pandemonium. You can also follow Maggie at at Maggie M012, Ellie at at Ellie Jacobs, and me at at Frank Spring. Yes. Uh, speaking of pandemonium and the craziness of the holiday season, your friends aboard Salty Jason's Revenge have gone ahead and done y'all a real solid. Um, and we do expect um, wonderful words of praise across the Twitter sphere and in our in, in, in our inboxes to support that. Um, you know, are you tired of binge watching BoJack Horseman? If you can be tired of doing such a thing, are you frustrated by trying to get into anything anywhere because of all the tourists? Are you scared to go home right after work? Come on, we know you're out there. Well, we have a solution. Come to our live show. For only the second time since all three of us have been on this podcast together, we will all be in the same place at the same time. And we decided to invite everybody we know. It's December 17th. That is a week from tomorrow. Um, if you're listening to this on Sunday, but we're recording it on Sunday, so we'll just say tomorrow. Uh, December 17th at 7 p.m. at the offices of The Future Project, which is incredibly different than The Human Fund, and more importantly, is located in Union Square here in New York, so it's very convenient to get to. What will we do, will we be doing at this live show, you may ask yourself? Uh, well, giving out free booze, uh, because you're also getting free tickets, but we're going to be going tournament style, um, without jousts and without lances, um, well, maybe some lands. Maybe a couple. Well, not with that attitude. <laughs> <laughs> did we get, clear, did we get clearance from the building code? <laughs> we can. We'll all work on. I'll work on the the clearance. It should be fine. Uh, yes, we're going to go tournament style to decide um, who will be the Democratic nominee for president in 2020. Uh, the DNC has changed the rules of the primaries and caucuses and the superdelegates. We're saying they can get rid of all of that altogether. We're going to make this determination at 7 p.m. on mo Monday, December 17th, 2018, a full two years before Iowa votes. Yeah. That's just how good we are. We're just that good. Taking ship famously first in the nation. Exactly. Yeah. And like yeah. I've been, and when I've been inviting friends to come to this, you know, fabulous events, I've mostly been hooking people in by saying, do you love listening to my bullshit without the opportunity to interject? Let's do it live, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's not? absolutely right. Bring it, bring, you know, bring, you know, this, this is a real tournament thing. There will be audience participation, uh, you know, bring your, bring your cabbage, bring your cabbage for sure. Bring your <laughs> cabbage, uh, bring, bring, you know, bring your truth. Definitely bring your truth. Bring a lot uh, of your bring, truth. Bring your hottest goddamn takes. Don't bring any lukewarm shit. I want your hottest takes. We want them there. We want them in their heated form. Stick in the microwave before you bring them. Uh, this is like this is going to be awesome. It's a tournament. It's a death match. Uh, it's you know it's gonna it's gonna be good as hell. There are gonna be hot takes everywhere. None of us may survive. Uh, be there. And bring your friends. Yeah, yeah, bring your friends and family if you have any. Mm -hmm. Expose them to this insanity. They'll thank you for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of hot takes, 
And yes. I am I am taking the wheel and going 90 degrees against traffic right now. No, this is, um, I mean, you're not you're not the only one, buddy. Buckle up, everybody. It's buckle be up, like everybody. Person. Yeah, um, we're going to recount briefly because we don't have much time. But on December fifth, Father Ross, His Eminence, Duthate, um, I don't know how to put it politely, other than he went and put feces in his bed. That's about as like yeah. that's the nice way to put it. Um, because he says, and uh, we're just going to launch this. And if you haven't seen this op-ed yet, uh, we will post it in the notes. But it's called "Why We Miss the Wasps." Newsflash: We do not miss the wasps. Anyway, continue. Yeah, who the, yeah, who the hell is we? As has been commented elsewhere. Correct. I mean, he's using a royal we sort of, or maybe he's just of two minds on things. But uh, you can both hear. of them are in agreement. <laughs> both of them are in agreement. Yeah. Me and my id. Yeah, that's right. yeah, that's <laughs> my, my ego and my super ego all missed yeah. a lot. Oh, that actually wouldn't be like that's that's Rouse doth it to the whatever's no. so here's the paragraph that uh, launched a thousand hot takes and scalded our eyeballs so that we couldn't see for two two straight days basically think about like staring into the sun but way worse i think you can usefully combine these takes and describe bush nostalgia as a longing for something america used to have and doesn't really anymore a ruling class that was widely not universally but more widely than today deemed legitimate and that inspires various kinds of trust intergenerational and institutional conspicuously absent in our society today put simply americans miss bush because we miss the wasps because we feel at some level that they are more meritocratic and diverse and secular successors rule us neither as wisely nor as well. Yeah. I think it's safe to say that that is a white hot take. Holy yes. smokes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Yeah. I did not see that one coming yeah. and, and now I am blind. Yeah. No one can Holy see it, but I'm doing finger guns. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's like, that is 100% a finger guns take. Yeah, this is... It's so this white, a white hot take with white hot smoke emanating from it. Yeah, it's yeah. just oh we my just found god! A, if you want to light your teeth on fire, read this column again. This is so. This piece has been uh, has been taken out to the woodshed and several other places. We're not going to go through it paragraph by paragraph. We were going to do a somewhat longer version of this, I should say, and then. Uh, but this morning, uh, the, you know, His Eminence, uh, the Cardinal Douthat. Uh, published a defense of it in the Sunday Review, the case called the titled The Case Against Meritocracy, which, first of all, you really want to be the guy taking taking uh, the line against meritocracy. And it is, it's so repellent that we all, I'm not kidding, we all developed flu-like symptoms when we were watching it. Like we all, like our stomachs were sick, our heads hurt. This is real, like th this is so, like, we're going to have a, you know, folks, folks, we're having a little fun here this morning, but this is some strangely dark shit to be published in the New York Times. Even it's by like a Herculean effort to yeah. be horrible. Yeah. Yeah. It's some of the yeah. most remarkable writing I've seen for, for just sheer defense of, you know, again, for, for sheer defense of privilege. Like if journalism is meant to uh, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable, this this is somehow the anti, like the platonic ideal of anti-journalism. Like this is a defense of afflicting the afflicted and comforting the comfortable. It's astonishing. Yeah. There's really only one of two possibilities for why this thing came to be. Uh, one, the marketing team came to him and said, you know, um, your clicks haven't been up. You really, it's your hottest we're, take. We're kind of, we're, you know, clearly the public is pretty bored with your never Trump thing week in and week out. You know, maybe go a little different direction this week. See what you can do with some of those numbers. That's option number one. Option number two is he lost a bet and had to explain to the entire world what is what the conservative population of this country actually want. Yeah. There's also option number three. 
is that he was super pumped to write this, 100% believes it, was ready to go. Yeah. So I'm going to go for option that one, three, which is honest. the worst option. Yeah. yeah, option three is the right option. Three is the right one, and that is the worst possible option available to us. So I just, you know, again, this has been taken out to the woodshed and other places. It deserved every minute of it, but I do want to highlight a couple of, of paragraphs. First, from the first piece, the one that was published on the fifth. We're using, uh, you know, using our, I guess, our collective, uh, our grief over the departure of George H. W. Bush from the presidency, and now this mortal coil, uh, to talk about how much we love white Anglo-Saxon Protestants and their aristocracy. Uh, so we're going to read one from that, and then we're going to read one paragraph from the defense he published today. And I think these are sort of, for, for me, the two is the two most essential paragraphs of this whole thing. So from the first one, Douthat writes, the wasp virtues that included. Uh, the wasp virtues also included a cosmopolitanism that was often more authentic than our own performative variety, a cosmopolitanism that coexisted with white man's burden racism, but also sometimes transcended it, because for every Brahmin bigot, there was an Arabist or China hand or Hispanophile who understood the non-American world better than some of today's shallow multiculturalists. What he is saying is that a wasp, again, a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, usually men, who went to the right schools and studied the right places is the true expert on, for example, the non-American world, on China or the Latin American world, rather than someone who lived there, someone who has had the life experience, to, who's had the life experience. And, and this is a classic debate that the right sets up within academia. The idea that like, well, there's academics, the objective truth of academic study versus the subjective reality of someone's life. There is, however, and this, and note how cleverly he avoids this reality. There is, however, a third category, people who have lived experience in these communities and have also studied them. Every community in the world that is of interest to policymakers, and again, we're talking policy here. This is the, the WASP aristocracy is the people who govern us, has people who have both lived in it and so they bring their own, like, honest-to-God, day-to-day experience as, as a member of these communities and also have academic expertise, which is important to understand the kind of structural forces behind what has happened in a lot of these areas. To him, they don't exist. To him, the person that we need is the dude who went to Andover and Yale and Sice and, you know, is here to tell us all the hell about the Dominican Republic because he's been studying it academically and has been there a few times, right? So that's, that's, that's point one. And, and and this is a good and this this one I have to thank my wife for this. It also reveals something else about the way that about the way the Douthats of the world review this stuff, which is it is really important for the experiences and the priorities of communities of color and parts of the world uh, populated by communities of color to remain meta, because if they're at all personalized by human experience, then we might have to think about the people who actually live there, and that's just not a reality that that the right reverend could possibly tolerate. Okay. So that's the word. That yeah, is I mean, to my these, mind. These, this is the same group of savvy, savvy personnel that brought us such beautiful things as the Treaty of Versailles and the Sykes-Picot Agreement and, and the Iraq goddamn war and the Vietnam War and the Iraq <laughs> War. I mean, these are these are guys top notch. Yeah. Oh yeah. We had some old school Near Eastern hands on that shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's a celebration of a kind of imperial rule that began, uh, you know, began, and, you know, and God help him, the father, the father of left of center uh, politics in the 20th century, uh, Keynes used to say that you know the world would be a better place if it was just ruled by uh, by a com- by a committee of uh, men from Cambridge and Oxford. This is the American equivalent of that. Okay, now 
because I don't want to do everyone's heads in with extended exposure to uh, to the right reverend, uh, I'm just going to give you one paragraph from his. So he was taken out on the uh, again. He was he was taken out and uh, and you know and roundly excoriated uh, online. Uh, which I mean, who amongst us hasn't been? But he was roundly excoriated online after this thing came out. So on Sunday, he takes you know he you know he he get he he gets back up, gets up off the mat and defends himself. And again, this piece that gave us flu-like symptoms and made it made us want to talk about this less rather than more. But here's a paragraph that I think in his case against meritocracy. So he is setting up the the ideal of a wasp elite versus the merit versus the supposedly failed meritocracy. And this well, my is favorite his, that, my favorite part about this is that. Um, Everybody who read this thing read it incorrectly, which is my favorite like excuse. That's the Donald Trump excuse, like, "Oh, I was joking." Yeah, yeah, exactly. You yeah, just didn't you get the all, joke. Yeah, none of you understood this. I like that. That's that's really his argument. Yeah. I wrote a really clear piece uh, in which I appeared to be defending uh, the you know the which I appeared to be defending a bunch of uh, a bunch of white the privilege of a bunch of white people. But you all just because I said we miss privileged white people, you all thought I meant we miss privileged white people. When what I meant was, and then his argument just completely spirals yeah, off right. into into this, space. This is my favorite excuse. This is like, you know, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go right there. We're gonna cut to the chase. It's like if you if you turn around and say, no, you just misunderstood Mein Kampf. It's actually, you know, a humor right. It's actually humor writing. Yeah, yeah. I was being ironic. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's it, there is there is an element of that to this. So I'm gonna give you one paragraph from this thing. This is his, so now he's in, so this is the second piece, he's indicting meritocracy. First, meritocracy segregates talent rather than dispersing it. By plucking the highest achievers from all over the country and encouraging them to cluster together in the same cities, it robs localities of their potential leaders, so that instead of an Eastern establishment negotiating with overlapping groups of regional elites or with working class or ethnic leaders, you have a mass upper class segregated from demoralized peripheries. Is, 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 he, is he perhaps suggesting that um that you're that there should be disbursement of things what he has literally suggested here Red, a redistribution of intelligence. A redistribution that's ex- that's exactly right oh boy um what he has what is his, what is he is suggesting here let us be clear if you are not born into the center of cultural and financial rule new york or into the center of political rule washington dc you should stay where you are that's his argument. That is literally his argument. The problem with meritocracy is that it brings people who weren't born to D.C. or to New York, and it brings them here. Now, his argument is, oh, and pity their communities who have no one left. Uh, that, 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 that's, a, that's a nice coat of paint that he's giving at first. I'm not sure that holds up intellectually. But secondly, what he is really saying is, whatever his motivation, leave political and cultural rule and political rule to the people or, and, and financial rule, leave it to the people who were born to it and were already here and y'all just stay in your communities and take care of those. Right. We're also not going to do, ele- we're not going to do elections anymore because it doesn't matter about, you know, electing people to go represent you because then they have to leave where they're at and they should have just stayed where they are. Yeah. This is some really dark shit friends. <laughs> and and that this, that this was published with the imprimatur of a major, of a major publication of any kind, let alone the one in which it appears provides matter for very grave reflection. Well, Essentially it's the, that it's framing the gas of leak article though. Mm-hmm. The framing of this article is basically like in favor of the hunger games. Like it's very much like we have the Capitol, we have, you know, mm-hmm. like the fancy people in the Capitol and then everyone in the districts, like either does all the farming or, you know, um, harvesting of things. So yeah, New York Times endorsing Hunger Games. Good to know. Yeah, these are some friends. These are some weapons grade takes. Do not look directly at them. Like these are like thirty megaton takes. Like if there's an asteroid heading for Earth, we're going to launch all of our nuclear arsenal and these fucking columns at it, and we are going to be safe. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th this is the kind of stuff you don't really want to use for kindling because it may actually ignite your entire house. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's antimatter. These are antimatter takes. It's unbelievable. Yeah. 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 It, so yeah read it. If you feel like, you know, lighting your own teeth on fire, why not? Right. Or read it and realize that you're a racist because you agree with it. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. There's, there's that as well. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we promised you were going to keep this short and we were going to do just that. We mostly just but want bilious. to... Short but bilious. That's yes. what we're going for. Yes. That's our brand. Uh, Mostly, we just want to beg, plead, and uh, conjole all of you to, uh, particularly if you are in New York, uh, some of our listeners are traveling from elsewhere in the country, not to make those of you who live locally feel guilty or anything, but show your goddamn asses up uh, to our live recording on December 17th at 7 p.m. Uh, again, it, tickets are free. There will be um, booze, we think, probably. I'm, there, there will be. Don't, I wouldn't worry about that. I mean, we're not saying don't bring a flask, but... You do bring a flask. You probably we're not, don't need not it. Not saying that. Yeah, we're not. A. <laughs> uh, December 17th, 7 p.m., Monday night, at the offices of Maggie's employer, The Future Project, which is in Union Square. Uh, very convenient to get to on all major subway lines. Um, a, quick, a quick shot from uh, uh, Newark Airport will get you there as well. Um, we don't suggest flying into JFK or LaGuardia, well, ever. Um, please they're do terrible that. places. Uh, but please do uh, come visit. It's a short, quick walk from Penn Station if you choose to take the train. Uh, basically, there's no excuse for you not to be there um, unless your employer's holiday party is that night, in which case you should probably come to us first and bring your holiday party with you and then go to your holiday party. Um, but more importantly, you should please rate, rate us and uh, leave us a comment or two on uh, any of your listening platforms that you listen to us on. Please follow us on Twitter at, at Taking Ship, and that's ship with a P as in please come on December 17th at 7 p.m. And you can follow Frank at Frank Spring, Maggie at Maggie M012, me at Ellie Jacobs. And with all that, uh, I will take a break and turn to Frank, who will tell us where we take ship this week. Friends, we take ship this week for Alaska, uh, where it transpires. Uh, where it transpires, a recent study has found uh, that more of Alaska, the coastline of Alaska, is falling into the sea uh, than uh, in any other, than any other coastline. I believe either on Earth and perhaps just in the Pacific. Uh, so Alaska is losing land mass to the ocean at an alarming rate. Um, and, and we're going up there because that's the opposite of what we need. Don't you know, Alaska, get it together. Don't you know there's a war on? We need more land in our fight against the sea, not less. What are you doing? So we're going to go up to it. So friends, we take ship to Alaska with a shovel to dig this land back up and get it back where it belongs. Friends, uh, we will see you in the Arctic. Take care, everybody. Take care, everybody.